This episode was first published on May 17, 2014. This is episode 21 of Biblically Speaking, a conversational question and answer show with two guys from Millard Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska. If you're in the Omaha area, stop by MCC and say hi. We're at 12656 Weir Street, and we meet every Sunday at 9.30 and 11 a.m., and every Wednesday at about 7 p.m. Enjoy the show. So let's talk about the order of the books. Oh, my. In the Bible. Well, I I actually do have something to say about that. Oh, good. I thought you might. I do. Mm -hmm. So... I know what you said to me in the past, and I know what I think about this. I think these King James people are going to go nuts after this one. <laughs> well, they probably aren't listening. Well, if anybody who is is going to hear some probably radical view of, from me. Okay. Shouldn't be radical. It's actually the most conservative view one could take. But So we have Old and New Testament. Yes. Obviously, inside those, the books are laid out in order. Yes. I mean, the Old Testament books um, seem to be time-ordered to a certain degree, at least at the start, and then move into kind of groupings based on poetic. You kind of have the prophets together. They show order. You have the historicals together. Right. You have the the Pentateuch in, in, in its order. There's some controversy around those orders, but not nearly as there is with the New Testament. There's, you know, there's some controversies around inclusion, like a first and second Maccabees and the book of Judith and yes. Tobit and Bell and the Dragon. I don't care to go there. Uh, yeah, let's just talk about the the orders of the, of the books that are in the, Mazo- as in the Masoretic text. How about we just confine ourselves to what the Mazora has yeah. decided? So let me ask you just first very plainly, do you believe in... Uh, divine inspiration of the ordering of the books. I do. I, do. That isn't to say I know what it is, but yes, Wait, I do. What? How can you not know what it is? Well, I believe in the uh, of the inspiration of the entire scripture. Right. Right. I don't know it like I should. I should know it better. So I always leave allowance for that. I believe it's the inspired word of God, even though I might not know what it means. Yeah, but as far as the order goes, I mean, they're in an order. So I believe that the order, order is inspired, even if I don't exactly know what the order is or what it means. So it's inspired, but we might have it wrong? Yeah, in fact, in the New Testament, I'm persuaded we absolutely have it wrong. Okay. How does that grab you? <laughs> Interesting. Did you think you were going to go there today? I never know where we're going to go. Well. And neither do you. So... I knew that the, I knew if this subject ever came up, it'd be pretty controversial. Let's go there because now you have my interest. There so we go. What right. What do you think's out of order? That's right. Now that I have your interest, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> no. Uh, what do I think the order of the New Testament should be? Yeah. Uh, well, the Gospels first. I think that uh, you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I think that's fine. Yeah. I think that's the inspired order. And then the Book of Acts. And you can see the logic of that. You can see the, the very very good the logic of the Gospels and then the Book of Acts. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's time order. It's also a distillation. It distills down, you know, four accounts distill down to one, and it, it is an account that attaches hard to the Gospel of Luke. So, you know, if you want the four Gospels together as one, maybe you think Luke should follow John so that it could attach, to Acts. attach hard to Acts there. But 
if you look at the structure of the Gospels, they all attach hard to the book of Acts. And I think if, if Luke sat right next to Acts, you, Acts, you might overlook that. Mm. But the, the book of Acts picks up all the Gospels. Right. And their various fourfolded look at the Lord Jesus. Right. Which I think is reflected at the throne of God. And um, we could look at that. Maybe we'll talk about that a little later, but I want to get you know to structure. Mm-hmm. Then after Acts, we have what are, what are broadly called the Pauline Church Epistles. Okay. Letters from Paul to churches. Yep, and then we have what are called the pastorals and the uh, prison epistles. So these are letters to Timothy, letters to Titus. These or... are Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Right. Okay, and then we have the book of Hebrews, and then the book of James. First Peter, Second Peter, First John, Second John, Third John, and Jude, which are called the Catholic epistles. And we call them Catholic small c. They don't think Roman Catholic. What's Catholic mean again? Universal. Gotcha. Yeah. So the word Catholic has been utterly destroyed by the Roman Catholic Church and so forth. They picked a good word up and put it to improper use, attributing to themselves. But Catholic really means universal, and so they're called Catholic epistles because they are to everyone as opposed to church epistles. Gotcha. Okay. In almost every manuscript, I think in every manuscript, it's overwhelmingly in the manuscript portions that we have where these epistles are placed, that the Catholic epistles precede the Pauline epistles. Almost universally in the texts. You mean like after Acts comes? After Acts comes the Catholic epistles. James, 1st, 2nd Peter, and Jude. 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude. And Jude, yeah. So... Because the King James people, you know, we're working off, we're working off the work, not just of the King James, but those underlying the King James, where mm-hmm. the order was controversial. In fact, there are those who argue, and I don't quite get this because the atmosphere today is politically different yeah. than the political atmosphere at the time of the, the canon was put together, but the idea of not having the Catholic epistles, small c, up front, is that there was controversy of importance by order. Like most important first? Yeah, like somehow being closer to the beginning of the New Testament made the content more important. I think the book of Revelation would beg to differ. Well, there's a lot of reasons (laughs) that's not true. I think there's some validity to the arguments that there are. In other words, I think there's some validity to the argument that they're more formative in your thinking. Yeah. Okay? But then those of us that actually do, God allows us to rightly divide the word of truth and really go on to maturity. Mm-hmm. As the book of Hebrews says that you let us do. Yes. Those of us that do go that way actually begin to appreciate the more mature thoughts rather than the formative ones. At the end. Because we see what the formative did. They've accomplished a great deal of their work to bring us into the more mature thinking, right, in which we spend more time. So you see both sides of that argument? Yeah. The one says, well, the formative is more important because it casts a longer shadow. You say, well, okay, I'm with that. I Mm -hmm. guess I can believe that. But I can also believe that the later ones are more important because it's we get closer and closer and closer to the finished work of the Scriptures, and everything comes together there. 
Yeah, it's as if building to a climax. I mean, in a in a story, exactly you right. Move to the more mature thoughts. As yeah, you and and in a story, you would call it a climax. In the study of scripture, you would call it maturity. And, yeah, you know, exactly. De- the deeper, higher things, the epigenosco that is that is advised for us to enter into in these later. Uh, books where we find uh, that there is a higher heaven and an, a higher knowledge, an epigenosco. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so what you're saying is, if I got this right, is that in the original manuscripts, now these must have been bundled together. There are time. okay. There are few full pieces, right? And and the few full pieces are not the overwhelming texts, and they're not even the best. Mm-hmm. The full pieces. And in those cases, you had these lowercase Catholic epistles. First first and and but the order of the of the pauline epistles uh-huh inside of those the order of the pauline epistles after those okay which are the called the church epistles you know romans through uh second thessalonians right are still intact in that internal order but the 10th book let's see let me count gotcha. here Three, so it's the grouping six that it reorders those are nine from romans to second thessalonians but the tenth piece becomes Hebrews. Now that makes a whole lot of sense right there. For one thing, it keeps Paul's writings uh, together in that sense. And Hebrews is a capstone uh, in so many ways yeah. of the so-called church epistles. It is a capstone and a good introduction into the pastorals and in prison work. Of Paul. So in this case, you would end with Philemon, and then Revelation would follow. Yes. So do you think that's the actual order? I think it's the actual order. So how, how do you say that there's a divine inspiration of the order, and yet we all have the wrong order? Didn't you think that he would— We don't all have the wrong order. Well, what, 99.5% of well, us? Well, you mean in the codex form that we pick yeah, when I mean, we buy at the store? form. Yeah, since it's become a codex, right, from the time that it was papyri and stuff to when it became a codex. Well, of course, it argues against the inspiration of the King James Version, doesn't it? Well, yes, it does. The full inspiration. But couldn't we just say, like... Uh, I think we have the order wrong. Isn't it that you're just asserting that at this point, though, right? There's no evidence to the order. Well, the overwhelming textual evidence is the order I'm telling you it is. Overwhelming. Textual as in historic groupings of manuscripts. The texts. Yeah. The texts themselves, the receptus. Okay. So was there controversy around the 1600s when they yes. came out in a different order? Yeah, of course, you know, in the time of the writing of the King James English Version, right, by the, essentially the Church of England. I mean, it's all tied up with the King of England, and that means the Church of England. He's the titular head of the Church of England, has been since that time, when they threw off the mantle of the Pope's. So are you saying was the Pope's version of the order of the books, which threw the Catholic epistles up first, actually had it right, are you saying that the Pope's version, which, by the way, since I think has been rearranged, I mean, when I pick up a Douay version of the Catholic Bible or a Jerusalem Bible, they don't reflect the ancient order either. This this thing has come to die. And, and by the way, most people don't even think it's important, right? I mean, how many people really think the order of the books in the New Testament is important I don't know. and a facet of teaching. Well, have you ever heard anybody teach out of the order of the books? Isn't that why you're asking me the question about the order of the books today? Because you'd like to hear something about that? Yeah, because I think— Or are you just I, trying I, to snuff me out here? <laughs> no, I mean, I believe that the order matters because 
as you form a piece of literature, especially in in, in your instructing, right, and in teaching, which is what yes. God is doing through the scriptures. Yes. Like, of course, or the order of the revelation makes sense. Like, how could that just be? In the middle. If every single word is picked and tried. Then how could the order not matter? And how would the Lord just throw them in in whatever order? That, and know? he didn't. Okay. So I, and he I gives us, that. by the way, in the Old Testament, he gives us a good hint of how to keep the order, right? He, because it's quote, the Lord quotes it as the law and the, and the Psalms and the prophets. He, he gives us that. Where's that? When the Lord, when the yeah. Lord talks about that. Yeah. You know where that is? Do I off the top of my head? I should, shouldn't I? See, I don't, told you I didn't know it as I should. Well, who is he talking to when he said that? Uh, well, he's talking to the people he came to. Do you remember when that? who he came to? Well, he came to lots of people. Huh? He didn't come to us Gentiles. Okay. Historic Gentiles. Well, there's a lot of him talking to Jewish people. Yes, of course. The keepers of the Scripture. Is this where he went through and talked about how they all spoke of him? Uh, I want to see exactly, because, you know, he talked about, uh, yes, it's Luke twenty four forty four. I'll, I'll read it to you. He said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, he's talking to the apostles, or the disciples, mm-hmm. which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. The law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. There's your essential grouping of the New yeah, of the but Old isn't Testament. that the wrong order? To what we have, I mean, right now the the Psalms kind of come first, then the prophets. Right? Yes, the prophets are broken, and the, there there is some controversy. Back <laughs> so you're saying the Old Testament's in the wrong order too? There is evidence that the prophets belong together. For example, there's good evidence that the prophets belong together. I don't particularly think that's nearly as controversial as the kind of major controversy around the New Testament. I guess we could do another show on it too, but I, I wanted to go. Well, there aren't first. there just to pr- briefly? stay on this topic aren't the prophets together though uh for the most part for the most part yeah and you have a whole bunch of prophets at the end there there's arguments about the order especially but they're in the not in the order because here he has prophets and then the psalms yeah in other words the psalms and the prophets look to be out of order according to this yeah yeah okay and there's there's other evidence that that's true huh now there's also evidence that the order of the prophets is is well the order of the prophets in, internally the order of the prophets yeah that looks very solid especially the book of Malachi being the last yeah like, that, like that, that definitely is. makes sense that's very content. solid so you know there's really two pieces of how important it is just like this New Testament controversy right? yeah do these epistles belong grouped for the most part absolutely they belong grouped the gospels absolutely belong grouped the church epistles absolutely belong grouped. Okay, mm-hmm. the book of Hebrews out of position, all right? That, that, that to me is because the book of Hebrews is in the wrong position, should be after Second Thessalonians, has given more rise to the whole controversy of who wrote it. I think if it was in its right place next to Second Thessalonians, bringing the number of those epistles from 9 to 10, which in biblical numerology would make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Bringing the number of epistles Paul certainly wrote from 13, which makes no sense, to 14, which makes 2 times 7, which makes all the sense in the world, the book of Hebrews in the right place would signal a right understanding of the book. In other words, to give you a good hint, a good tip-off right away how to look at the book correctly. Now, you can look at the book correctly anyway, which I think we do, but look how many people foul on the book of Hebrews. 
They don't see it correctly. They don't ascribe it to the Apostle Paul. Right. They don't realize to whom it's written, actually. Uh, they call the Holy Brethren a bunch of unsaved Jews. Uh, a, whole, a whole bunch of awful stuff because they start off wrong in the book of Hebrews. Actually, the creation scientist's mentor got the book of Hebrews wrong right at the beginning when he didn't understand that, that the book of Hebrews teaches that the ages are framed by the Word of God, in addition to the fact that the world was created by the Word of God. And so he treats it as just a repeat of what we've learned clear back in Genesis, what we learn in Colossians, what we learn in John chapter 1. He just thinks it's a rehash of that, when in fact the book of Hebrews is an advanced epistle standing at the end of the church epistles, a late work of deep thought, the one that Peter says is you know difficult to understand, and... I think a direct reference to the book of Hebrews, another tip-off that Paul wrote it, uh, when he says something's difficult to be understood. Not, that's not the only thing difficult to understand, but for uh, Peter, it was a whole ton of difficult stuff to understand. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole ton of difficult stuff for us to understand, too. But had uh, creation science people just read Hebrews 1 correctly, they wouldn't be putting out the really heretical stuff that they're putting out about young earth and... Satan never, you know, we don't we don't know the Bible's silent on the fall of Satan and other other kinds of whack things. All right, so there is room to argue that knowing the proper order of the books can enhance your learning. So let's, let's of the scriptures. This, and then I would and like what get, else is there I would like to do? To get to examples of that, especially like inside the church epistles, where you can kind of take us through the flow of the order. A little bit. Oh, of the order of the books for or instance, of like the why flow we, of all the church epistles? Well, for instance, let's take a group. I mean, be fair. <laughs> what are we going to go, 30, 35, 40 minutes? Well, we'll just see what you can do. High, keep it high level. But before that, isn't it? You're, you, this is like a Bible tsunami you're doing here. <laughs> I mean, my thoughts are they're so ranging right now. All right. Well, It we'll is just... as if you set off some kind of you know earthquake not far from shore. And here comes a whole wave of stuff at me. You can handle it. Tell me this. I'll try to write this. Might be, this might be asking you to uh, provide more conjecture than real answer. But Are you going to slap me around for conjecturing? No. All I'm right, asking good. you to conjecture a little bit. Because where I struggle with this is if there is a divinely inspired order and mm, God yes. promised to preserve his word, and that order helps us to understand why are they in the wrong order. But like, it is preserved. It's in the texts. Now, maybe you say it's too much to ask for people to even familiarize themselves with the texts. And let me tell you, if there was ever an excuse for that, it's not today. You know as well as I do the texts are online. You say, well, yeah, but I can't read them or make sense of them. No, but you can read all about them. You can read all about the order of uh, of the books in those texts. You can read all about it. Some of the guys that um, that I would have leaned on for more information about that a few years ago, they've they've gone to be with the Lord, and I see that I've I see that I passed up a wonderful opportunity to talk with guys that I knew, Professor F. F. Bruce, Saint Hodges, about such topics as what you're bringing up. But this has come rather late to me. This let's just say the historical study of the text, because mm-hmm. you know I'm not qualified to read a text myself, but I am I am qualified to study about them. And I also know people who do readily read the text themselves. I still have friends that can help me. 
I think I still can readily correspond with one of the finest Greek scholars in the, in the world today about such things. But coming back to the matter, uh, I've taught for many years that Paul wrote Hebrews. You know that. I mean, I just come right out and say Paul did write this book. But mm-hmm. uh, I have to teach my way into the context rather than just saying, you see how logically this follows Second Thessalonians right here? You know, church is all finished up and everything. Now we're going to talk about higher things. We're going to move on to deeper things that show the later incorporation. We even see the church of the firstborn where this is going to all lead to. We see the ongoing controversy of those who insist on remaining Jewish, despite the fact that the middle wall of partition doctrinally has been uh, taken out of the way in the middle of this section, in the book of Ephesians, in the middle of the church epistles, Mm -hmm. which is also the zenith or the apex of Bible doctrine in those epistles. You you do know that I teach within within these groupings, especially in the church epistles, that I do teach a flow to it and a development of it and what what better guys than I have have called the progress of doctrine through the New Testament. And if you think of progress of doctrine, right, you think of progress of doctrine, and you do put those Catholic epistles before the church epistles, maybe you don't keep a historicity of the writings and a historicity of the events. Uh, Maybe that gets worse. But what gets a whole lot better is the progress of doctrine in the New Testament. That's interesting, because I look at books like James, and I think of that as being, even though it seemed to be written early, historically, fitting near the end as the topics are mature. I'd say the topics are mature in a certain sense, but doctrinally mature. Um, as far as the movement, as far as the Judaism. as far as the progress of doctrine, okay, I don't think you could say that that James, though mature, progresses doctrine far gotcha. or, or logically forward, and, and we can agree on that. Yeah, yeah, and okay. I'd say the same with all those epistles. I mean, you don't come to more difficult epistles that light up the problems of the last days and so forth better than First, Second, Third John. I mean, now, now there. Is some uh, you get you you can easily go wrong there. So therefore, it is a mature person that reads those epistles. And yet again, doctrine is not developed there. It is not brought to its apex there. It is out. Problems and difficulties are outlined, and it ever does. It is like all of John's writings, despite very simple language, goes into deep, complex thinking. But mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I can tell you, and I can argue with you, that uh, effect, think effectively, especially some of the Jewish references that go on in these epistles, which if you stick them only as late, you know, only as late, you got to go, are these after, uh, does this context come up after God takes Israel back up again because it's applying to the diaspora? That's a historical event and so forth. You, you begin to see that, oh, you know what? As I consider, do these things belong up closer in the development of doctrine, it's starting to make a lot of sense to me mm. that the controversy that's totally resolved in Ephesians, doctrinally, is presented pretty well in the Catholic epistles. Yeah. I think of things that John says, like, uh, they went out from uh, us, from us, but they weren't of us. I think that makes a lot more sense in the context of Early. following right after Acts. You know? Yeah, and then you don't think it's your brother that left the church, got mad or whatever. Yeah. You know, you know oh, ooh, they weren't of us. Nah, that's not it. It's it's the whole, it's the whole falling out of false doctrinal people out 
you know, the tares amidst the wheat and all, all yeah, of this exactly. kind of thing. Yes. All right. So that makes some sense. Let's let's focus and let's end on this. Um, here, are we at the end already? Tsunami. Well, it's a tsunami, so you're going to yeah. take your time here. Well, between waves, I can take a breath. <laughs> take like, a breath. Um, you make me work on this stuff, which I appreciate. Okay, it's fine. Take us through at a very high level. And, you sure. Know, um, how, you know, because perhaps someone's thinking, well, how much can I really get out of the order? Like, is this... Maybe we're just... Uh... Well, you can't get as much as reading the text first, sure. so go read... <laughs> get the text in your make sure first. Make sure you're reading the, the, the Bible through before you take on, you know, one of these higher-level topics. But let's just look at the church epistles, which is Romans okay. through sure. Second Thessalonians, and maybe just explain or how Hebrew, that... Or Hebrews. Well, okay. So you're saying Hebrews is a church, a letter to a church? I just think it's part of the church epistles. Okay. It's the letter to the Church of the Firstborn. <laughs> well, let's take the current. Let's take the current order. Okay. Which is Romans through Second Thessalonians. Okay. Like the canonical King James order, and just using those nine, just kind of go one by one, or at least however order you like, and explain how the actual ordering of those books brings out more information than. Oh sure, I mean real briefly, sure yeah, briefly. I can do that, and uh, just for those who want to drill down a little further. As I go through those books individually in BibleStudy.net, which I think is now 10 years old, yeah, um, go listen to those, and you'll get a lot more information on this topic. Yes. All right? Nevertheless, I'll bring out a little bit new and old here. Okay. okay. Now, let me just say that the sweeping thought that you should keep uppermost in your mind when, when looking at the development of the New Testament, all right, whether you read it in order or out of order, is the progress of doctrine in the New Testament. This is really through the whole Bible, but the New Testament is wonderfully the progress of doctrine, the introduction of the Lord Jesus for who he is in his fourfoldness, uh, the distillation down into the book of Acts as the truth is goes forward, uh, how the word of God goes from Jew to Gentile. All of this well documented in that set of books distilled down into the book of Acts. Now we come out with Romans, which lays out doctrinally the whole thing, right? Begins by taking the Jew, how they're under sin, the Gentile, how they're under sin, then tells us about sin, salvation, goes through the work of the cross, the existence of the old man, the resolution by faith of the old man problem, the wonderful and spectacular end of the faith there in chapter 8, and then the re- revelation of how it is that God can set aside Israel and still have an Israel of God mm. in 9, 10, and 11, and then chapter 12 and following results in basically introduction to the book of Ephesians right there at the end of chapter 16. This Because people don't understand the progress of doctrine and don't see how the scriptures really develop, Okay, then they the so-called scholars and guys that know more about some things than you know I do for sure get wrong the end of the book of uh, Romans that shouldn't be there that got tacked on later by you know another writer Paul whatever they say about it and fail to realize that the purpose of the book is so doctrinal and it gives us a hook to the next doctrinal book. It's like a teaser. Yeah, but such an appetizer as to be a full meal, you know. No, I'm just meaning the the exactly. end of sixteen is the tease. As a tease into the, the whole book is yeah, a meal. Absolutely. Yeah, and even that piece in sixteen is like what? Wow. Yeah. You know, as the secret 
that piece you're talking about the final end of chapter 16 in Romans provides more questions than answers right yeah it's like you know I thought we were wrapping up here he was doing salutations and some uh, exhortations mm-hmm. and I thought that the you know the big sweep of this thing was done and I'm on the way down here and all of a sudden he blows your mind and go wait well, hey, I need more but Ephesians isn't next no, it's, well, it's next doctrinally. Okay. And so that's what we're going through. Yeah. That's why you want me to go through this. So so now we have, you might say, well, shouldn't Ephesians just attach hard there? Like, shouldn't Luke attach hard to Acts? Mm-hmm. No, because it what it will do is make you overlook the fact that there's doctrinal error and correction that needs to take place after the Book of Romans. In other words, the Book of Romans goes down, and it lays everything out. And how does it go down? Well, it goes down like the Corinthian church goes down. You go like, oh, wait a minute, doctrine not well practiced, mm-hmm. uh, doctrinal response in need of correction, and then you get two two full books of that. Right. And so that's important to know. It's important to know that doctrine needs to be applied and corrected, and that happens in not only in the Corinthians, so that's which is kind of— is you have doctrine revealed and then correction following. Two kinds of correction, right? Practice correction and then doctrinal correction. So Corinthians would be practice, and then you're saying Galatians. Galatians is, is nothing if not doctrinal correction. The doctrine itself gets attacked, and then it needs to be corrected. It needs to be corrected. So in other words, you're introduced not only to the progress of doctrine per se, but the progress of opposition to doctrine, mm. and how and where and how to look at the failure of doctrine in the church and how to deal with it, for example, and the inroads of the enemies of the doctrine and how they're going to come in and try to undo the doctrine. And so you have the corrections of Galatians. And any man who has all Scripture and who's going to be equipped to handle the Word of God needs to anticipate and see that with doctrine, as the book of Hebrews tells us, after enlightenment comes what? Testing. A great fight of afflictions. And you're in the thick of it as a teacher of the Word of God. You're in the midst of it. Anybody who preaches the Word of God is eager to take on the book of Romans, learn what they can from it, and pass along all that great stuff. Okay? But then comes what? A great fight of affliction as the believers that you've taught go into the afflictions that come after enlightenment. This is an experience of believers together, too. You know, 1 Corinthians, so that you can correct practice, and Second Corinthians, so you don't overcorrect practice, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And uh, then the book of Galatians comes along, and you see, oh, wow, certain ones from James, etc., right? Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses. Now, how many churches are just stuck right there? I mean, how many churches just advance a form of Galatian heresy as their day-to-day practice? Yeah, Most of them. So you see... The progress here is not necessarily, I mean, you you look around and you go, wow, I want to get to Ephesians. But it's difficult to get yeah. to Ephesians. Like two steps forward, one step back. Or worse than that. Well, one step forward in Romans, and then three steps back. Th- and then three <laughs> steps back, right. I mean, you can end up, right, never getting past Romans 7. And how many people never get past Romans? I mean, look, how many people have Romans 7 wrong? Yeah, Paul's, Paul's talking. Saved talking about himself as a lost man, right? crazy stuff. Yep. Then they don't know Romans 8. So the, the progress of doctrine in Scripture is wonderful to behold and wonderful to understand and accept, and, but, it, but it's so difficult to deliver. Therefore, when you finally do get to the book of Hebrews, and it says, this we will do if God permits, you're in a great position to say, no kidding, Yeah. because look at what happens. 
So Ephesians comes along. Now we come to Ephesians. This is not correctional. This is doctrinal. This is doctrinal. Now, now let me just say, these are letters. So in every letter, there's doctrinal stuff, there's correctional stuff, yeah. and it's it's effulgent. But if you had to characterize a scripture, general themes, general uh, is, is this doctrinal? Yeah, Ephesians is majorly doctrinal. It outlines our position in the heavens. It talks to us about sophisticated subjects. It clarifies uh, that the principle doesn't change by grace through faith, and that gets attacked. That gets attacked, so that it has to be reasserted in Colossians, right? In Philippians, the Apostle Paul has to now relate practice to the doctrine, right? So, I'm created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has prepared for me to walk in. Mm-hmm. What's the consequences? What is? How does that work out? What's the practical application of that? You have the book of Philippians, where Paul uses his own personal example to say that I have not attained... And I lay aside the things that are before, and I reach forward to attain unto this thing called the ex-anastasis, ex-necron, or the out-resurrection out from the dead, with which you're familiar, but with which who listens is not familiar, ever heard it. So here's this wonderful teaching that's also difficult to, to get across, now applied in the life of the Apostle Paul, and you see him with the higher calling, the higher knowledge, and this wonderful doctrine of maturity and completeness that was first opened up and shown in the book of Ephesians, and now the Apostle Paul says, shows how it is that he walks that way and then gives us a responsibility over our own minds to keep it that way in the fourth chapter of Philippians. So it's... Stop you real quick to advertise. If if you're interested in more about that Anastasis ek Necron, or the ex-Anastasis John referred to in Philippians, go to BibleStudy.net. There's a free audio messages section, and there's a, there's a whole series called Three Resurrections. Oh, yes. It's a brief three that's, or four messages. I think that's and right. it goes into detail on that specific topic. Yeah, that's right. It, 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 it's there. Okay, so Philippians and Colossians are now the practical applied... Study. Colossians is the corrections back to, back to book Ephesians. Of Ephesians. And then yes. here comes First and Second Thessalonians. Here come First and... Th- yeah. Now, First and Second Thessalonians are really capstone of how to set a church in order. It's really the capstone truth. Now we have really the, the, the final word on the local church and to set things in order. Mm. And uh, it sets the hope of the believer. It tells the believers, this is your church. The Thess- it is written to the Thessalonians church. It's the only thing written like that, that with that kind of language. And say, now, now you have doctrinal, you have the correction on how to carry forward. Here is set forth a group of people that do it. It's possible to do. It's wonderful to do. This is how it should be. And that's the final word. So we should conduct our churches like the Thessalonian church, finally. Now, you can't just do that by reading First and Second Thessalonians, because all the progress of doctrine back to Romans is necessary to bring us that far. Mm. And, and then we have the book of Hebrews. So you don't want me to deal with book of Hebrews. <laughs> Go ahead. As, as part of the nine, and it's not part of the nine, but it's number ten. Now, it is the capstone doctrinal book. See? Okay. It's the final word on doctrine in this section of the church epistles. And you say, but it, that's not a church. Yeah, it's just to the Hebrews. Yeah, but it's a doctrinal book. True. And it lets, by the time we're living like the Thessalonians, taught like the rest of it, we're ready to enter into these things if God permits and see what's going to go down 
in the future. And C, by the way, also, it begins to address the very, the very uh, difficult question of how does the church relate to the fathers and the prophets and so forth? What's the connection? We know Israel was set aside for their disobedience, mm-hmm. but what about those who didn't? And so it ties us together with Abraham, Isaac, and so forth, Moses, people we don't expect to see, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson. You know, if preachers read the book of Hebrews better and saw it as a capstone of church truth, they wouldn't stand up at the pulpit and criticize Samson like they do. Mm-hmm. Here's a man of great weakness who's in Hebrews chapter 11. Brother, you can be there. I mean, that's what that says. Brother, you, if Samson can get there, mm-hmm. you can get there. If Gideon can get there, you can get there. If you're feeling like Jephthah, people are treating you like they did him, brother, you can be in Hebrews 11. So, <clears throat> holy brethren of chapter 3 brings us to the, the pinnacle we should expect, having read first Romans, then Ephesians, and now treats us in the pinnacle that we should expect and shows us the jeopardies because we've already cleared what's not in jeopardy. Shows us fourfold way the real jeopardies that we do face with respect to the Lord's coming kingdom, which includes a church of the firstborn ones, wow. an assembly, a calling out again. Okay, I've just thought of my question for next time. Oh, do I get to have it? Nope. Ah. Uh.